Father, as a family, we, um, we just want to acknowledge your goodness. We want to acknowledge your love for us, your kindness. And Father, we want to thank you that you have a word for us. Um, you're a God that is personal. You are a God with all authority. You are a God of all wonder, of all creativity. Uh, and thank, we want to thank you that tonight you have a word for us, not just with words that I'm speaking, but Father, you have a word for us as we gather together. Um, Father, we thank you that everything that we are doing is about bringing you glory. And so, Father, we just pray that um, every little aspect would be just about your glory and not about ourselves. Father, I want to pray for a really deep joy over us. No matter what we are going through, no matter what we are feeling, I want to pray that we would be a community of people who just deeply get this joy because we deeply understand who you are um, and we're experiencing who you are. And so, Father, as we come before you tonight, I pray that we would come with a real humility. Um, I want to pray that we would come with a real ex- um, excitement for your word, excitement that you are relevant, that you are speaking to us, that your spirit is with us in this room right now. Father, I want to pray against complacency and lukewarmness. Father, help us not to fall into that trap. But Father, I want to pray that we would just be so excited about your word, so excited about your name. Um, and so excited about your glory above all else. Amen. Um, you guys have, uh, a lot of you guys have heard my testimony before, but in short, I was saved when I was about 16 years old. Um, I'd grown up in the church, but um, I, I came to know Jesus when I was about 16. And the easiest way that I can kind of describe my life before I knew who Jesus was was just this really simple idea that I was living in a fog. Um, and everything that I was involved in, everything that was going through my mind was just this, just this fog, um, just this really deep confusion, um, about the way in which to view the life, the way in which to view relationships with my friends, with the girls around me. Um, I just had this really deep confusion about life. And when I became a Christian, when I accepted Jesus into my life, when I, when the spirit came upon me, um, there was this this beautiful transaction that happened where I just started to see the world in truth. I started to see things just radically differently. Um, and last week we looked at this idea, this concept of chaos that is is talked about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and for the Jews, and I'll just rehash last week really quickly. But for the Jews, chaos was this idea um, that when uh, when we what chaos tried to do was take God out of any situation. And when God was taken out of any situation, or they tried to take God out of any situation, then confusion was what resulted. Um, and so we know that where God is, there is clarity, there is light, there is truth. Um, but what chaos breeds, what confusion breeds, is fear and anxiety and selfishness. And I've been really thankful for, for Mitch because what we're doing um, in here at Feast, and we do this all the time, is we're going through a series. So we're looking at this um, idea of identity. We're looking at who we are. And so what we've done um, over the last three weeks is we've sat in creation and we've looked at this idea that we are purposeful creations, that God purposed us into creation. We weren't um, created out of chaos. We weren't created out of nothing. He had an idea. He had a picture and he deliberated us into existence. Um, and in that, he is creating us in love. He is creating us personally, and he knows every detail about our lives. And I've been really thankful because Mitch has started just kind of rehashing what we've been looking at on a Sunday night and then just posting it on Facebook. And so I just wanted to read, for those who weren't here, what he wrote um, that we looked at last week. And he says this, in Genesis 1 verses 1 to 2, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God takes confusion and chaos, is what Mitch says, and creates life. In Genesis 1, God gave the chaos form, and he breathed life into it. God created us on purpose. He created us with a purpose, and he created us for a purpose. And Mont reminded us that Jesus is the light in the darkness and the control in the chaos. We are not a product or a result of chaos. Rather, we are products of a sovereign God who loves us. Mitch says, I was reminded that we have a choice. We either live by faith or we live by chance. We let the winds of the world blow us around or we choose to listen and follow God. And so what we're doing at the moment is we're sitting in this series in identity. We've looked at three weeks in Psalm 139 where we've looked at creation and the way in which we, humanity, and we as people were created into this world. Um, Where we're going to sit now is this idea that our very identity, who we are, is found solely and completely in Jesus if we've accepted him into our lives. That is our new identity. We are people of new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Um, So we're going to be looking at this idea that we, um, our very identity is just found solely in who he is. And then where we're going to sit um, after that is we're going to look at this idea of our new destination, our new home, our new place of residence. And just the fact that um, if our identity is found in Jesus, then we have a new home. We are temporary citizens in this world. And so I want to start tonight by just painting this really simple picture. And it's just, if you picture a mirror, and you can put this slide up, um, we we live in a culture that spends a lot of time looking into the mirror. Um, if you think about how much of your day is spent looking in the mirror, it's it's probably a much greater percentage than any time throughout the world's history. Um, even the mirrors that we think are normal in our bathrooms, they're not. They have not been normal throughout human history. Um, we live in a time where we we love self indulgence, but we we love looking at ourselves, and especially our, like our younger generation. Um, we spend a lot of time looking in the mirror critiquing our bodies critiquing ourselves um and this is true of us in this community but this is true of our wider culture um, and the people who we do life with and one of the things for us um, in 2018 is we live in a time where we are desperately searching for meaning and we are desperately searching for happiness um, and this is nothing new but we live in a time where we are desperately searching we're desperately seeking and if we look at this idea of identity one of the fundamental questions when we we start searching when we start investigating this idea of identity is we have to ask the question who are we um and one of the problems is if we go with this analogy of looking in the mirror is that we as a culture we try and find our identity we try and answer that question of who we are by looking in the mirror um and so for some of us like for for yeah Part of this is that we literally look in the mirror. So we literally look at our physical appearance and we, we look at whether or not we measure up to the people around us. Um, but also this idea of like looking into the mirror is kind of figurative as well. So you can replace the mirror with this literal idea where we're physically looking at it and trying to, trying to, um, build our ego by or like lower ourselves by the reflection that we see. And you can replace that mirror with the different things in our lives. It might be your work. It might be the career in which you're in. Um, 
Um, it might be the fact that you're really successful. It might be relationships that you're in. Um, and one of the things that we're really, really good at is trying to look at ourselves and answer this question, who are we, by the way in which we measure up to the people around us. It's why one of the first questions when we meet someone is, what do you do? Because we're trying to, we're trying to understand each other. We're trying to box each other. And although like in a conversation, it's a really fine question to ask. One of the deeper things that's going on for us is we're trying to understand each other and understand who we are um, by what we do in life. We allow so easily our skills and our hobbies, our occupations, our fashion, our relationships um, to define the answers of who we are. This kind of sums up our culture and we live in a time that is just really, really hurting. And one of the things I just wanted to start by saying when we look at this topic of identity tonight is when it comes to answering the question of who we are, we need to remember that we are not qualified to answer that question. We are not qualified to answer the question of who we are. Um, in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, we're told that the heart is deceitful above all things. And so we look in the mirror and with the reflections we see, we cannot trust the reflections that we see. Um, we will look in the mirror and we're really good at this physically and go, I don't like who I'm looking at. I don't like the imperfections in my life. I don't like how my face looks. I don't like how my body looks. We're a culture that is obsessed with that and we are people who are obsessed with that. But this is a way in which Satan has been lying to us so, so much. And I know that this is true for so many of us in this community. Um, but it's also true when we start looking at all these other things in our lives. We can't trust the reflections that we're getting when we try and measure up in regards to work or success or money, when we try and measure up in regards to relationship. One of the best analogies I've heard on this is this idea of, of a carnival mirror. Um, this is what we do when we look in the mirror. And we know that a carnival mirror, who's been and been to one of these? I try and avoid the circus at all costs, but a fair few of us have been and seen one of these. These were really popular from like, I don't know, like 1950s onwards or something. Um, but really simply, we all know what they are. You look in the mirror and they're curved in a way where they distort our bodies um, and they, they can either make our bodies look worse than they are or they can make them look better. So... You might look in, you might go into one of these and you look at it and you're all of a sudden you're a muscle man. Um, and that might not be your natural, um, appearance. Or you might look at them and like these guys, they distort who you are. They give you a ridiculous neck or they give you a shorter body than you have. Um, and one of the things that like I just wanted to start tonight by doing is, is just saying the heart is deceitful above all things. And when we try and, um, when we try and answer the question of our identity, when we try and answer who we are, we will always get it wrong. We suck at answering that question because we're not capable of doing it. We're too um, prone to listening to lies. We're too prone to allowing Satan to whisper things in our mind that distort our views. And if the, the truth is we cannot trust ourselves. We cannot trust the answer to these um, to that question. And so for some of us, we may look in the mirror and we might have too high a view of ourselves. There might be this arrogance that creeps up where we're looking in the mirror and going, I'm killing it. I'm doing amazing in life. To the people compared to me, the people around me, I'm doing just amazingly. And we have this view where we it's just distorted. Um, we may look in the mirror, and I think this is actually one of the root problems in our culture and have too low a view of ourselves, where we look in the mirror and we sit there and go, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm too boring. I'm not strong enough. Um, and we're really good. When we look at measuring up, when we look at understanding our identity, we're really good at having too low a view of ourselves. And one of the things um, 
that I wanted to begin with was this idea is we don't see with clarity. As human beings, as people, we don't see with clarity. And my testimony in its most simplest form is before I knew Jesus, my life was a fog. I didn't see with clarity. I didn't see truth. I didn't see light. And what that meant was that I was not a great friend of the people around me. What that meant is I was not in healthy relationships with the women around me. What that meant was that I was constantly needing approval. I was constantly needing the people around me to like me. Um, before I knew Jesus, confusion, chaos reigned in my mind and reigned in my life. And I lived in that. When I came to know Jesus, truth took over my life. Um, and there has been this 14 years of renewal that has been going on in my life, this slow, beautiful renewal that is where God is changing my life. And so really simply, when we let, when we are left in control in our lives, chaos reigns. Um, confusion creeps in, fears creep in, doubts, anxieties, they start to take over, um, and we don't see ourselves as we should. And so tonight's message is really simply this. We we as a people need to get rid of the mirror um, that we are so consumed with when it comes to looking at who we are, and all we need to do is cast our gaze upon Jesus. In part, tonight is going to be one of the simplest messages you ever hear in your life, but it's going to be, honestly, the root, the foundation, the platform that if you, we apply this over the course of our lives, we will live radical lives. We will live beautiful lives. We will live lives that are free um, because following Jesus isn't that complicated. Actually, it's just really, really easy, um, and we're just going to look at how easy it is in many ways tonight. So... Um, we know that we were made by and for our creator. That's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. But I want to look at two verses that just really simply um, show us that our identity isn't found in who we are. It's not, in, in, it's not um, about what we do. It's not about how much we, um, we achieve. It's not about what we strive for. Um, it's really simply, if we have been um, saved by Jesus, what that means is we've been born again. The old is gone, the new has come. And so there's two verses I want to look at that show us really clearly that our our identity is no longer us. Our identity is completely found in Jesus. And so the first is this, Galatians 2 verse 20. And it says this, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the start of this verse, I have been crucified with Christ. This idea that the old life has been completely taken away. It's completely gone. Um, and this line just sums up everything that we're looking at tonight. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old is gone. The chaos is gone. The conf confusion is gone. We live as people who have a completely new identity. We live as people who are found completely in Jesus. We don't have a mirror to look at. All we have is Jesus. And when Jesus looks at us, guess who he sees? He sees himself. He sees the spirit living within us. And what that means is that we become people who are completely free. Our identity is found in who he is. We've been crucified by Christ, with Christ. In Colossians 3, verse 3 to 4, we are told this. You have died. That's a common theme throughout scripture. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And I just love this um, phrasing that Paul uses. 
um, you have died and your life is completely hidden in Christ, with Christ who is in God. That is what our identity is. If we've accepted Jesus into our life, what that means is we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have God himself living within us. And our identity is not made up of how we look. It's not made up of what we do. It's not made up by the friends or the people around us. It's not made up by our family. It's made up by the very beautiful fact that we have Christ living within us. That we have the Spirit now living within us. And this kind of transforms absolutely everything. One of the things that this week, it's just reminded me just really simply, um, and I keep hearing this theme over and over. Bo prayed it at the um, start of Feast before we um, started meeting. But I've heard this line um, from Matthew 5, I reckon 10 times over the last week. So I think God is trying to tell me something. Um, but just this, in um, in the Beatitudes, the thirsty and, um, and hungry, um, they thirst and hunger for righteousness. Just thirst and hunger for righteousness. Um, and I've been reminded of this so much over this last week. I need God in my life so much. I know my frailties. I know my weaknesses. I know what my mind is capable of. I know what my hands are capable of. I need Jesus so much in my life. And in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, we're going to look at this in a few months. Um, we're told really simply just thirst and hunger for righteousness. Thirst and hunger to be right with God. That's what righteousness means. It means being putting things right with God. And so that's looking at our own lives, but it's looking at everything in our culture. Thirst and hunger for righteousness. I want to, I want to, um, look at a story and Bol told me that, and I'm a love, I love how God works in this, but Bol told me that this is what you looked at in youth on Friday night and we, neither of us had any idea that um, we were going to look at this, but what I want to do is just look at this story in Matthew 14, one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's just a beautiful, beautiful passage, um, but I want to just rehash what we looked at last week. Um, we looked at the idea last week was for the Jews back in um, biblical times, a couple of thousand years ago, they had a different understanding of water than we have now. Um, so really simply, the Jews believed that chaos lived in the water. Um, they believed, and by chaos, chaos really simply is the removal of God, which then leads to confusion. Um, and so for the Jews in ancient times, they believed that demons lived in the water. They believed there was this um, beast called Leviathan, and Leviathan's job was to remove order. It was to remove, it was to introduce chaos into the world. Um, and it was to remove any sense of God in the world in which, which we know. Um, and so, um, for the Jews, any body of water in the new, when we read about a body of water in scripture, um, there is a lot going on for them. This is where chaos lived. This is where demons lived. This is where Leviathan lived. And so what this does is it gives us a greater lens when we look at the stories that Jesus teaches us, um, many of which we may have heard if you grew up in Sunday school, um, it gives us a greater understanding and a greater lens to the power of these stories for what for the Jews and which is going on. So we know, like last week we looked at this story in Mark 5 verse 13 where um, there is a man who is possessed and Jesus releases these demons. He takes these demons out of this man. He puts them into a herd of pigs. It's a really strange story. And then he, he sends these pigs off the cliff and into the water. And the idea is that Jesus is taking the chaos where it has crept to where it is not allowed and he is 
taking the chaos and putting it back into its rightful place. Um, and that was Matthew 5. We know Matthew 8 verse 23, this idea where Jesus calms the seas. He's asleep on the boat and his disciples are all worried because they see the wind and the waves around him. They start to get fearful. They start to um, they start to get really worried and there's Jesus on his boat just chilling out and sleeping. And he, they wake him up and with a word, he silences the water, he silences the wind, um, and they are amazed by what he does. And they're not just amazed by the fact that he can physically control the elements in this world. They're amazed at the fact that he has complete control and authority over the darkness and over the chaos. That no matter how strong the darkness may seem, Jesus with a word silences it. And so when the disciples are reacting to Jesus calming the seas, there is something much more profound going on than him just controlling the world in which we live and just controlling the nature in which we live. And so tonight what I want to do is look at this story um, in Matthew 14. If you've got your Bibles, open up to it. Um, and so really, really, it's one of my favorites. So Matthew 14 verse 22 starts like this. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So remember, this is where Leviathan lives. This is where the demons live. This is where chaos reigns. They see a man walking on the water. Their natural reaction is, this is a ghost, and they are afraid. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, you desire, do not be afraid. It's one of the most simple messages that we read from Jesus over and over and over He says to his disciples, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter says this, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. What a massive statement for one of Jesus' disciples to make. He's on this boat. He knows what the water represents. And his first reaction when he sees this ghost and the ghost says, it is I, your Lord, is to say, I'll come and follow you. The very nature of discipleship in the Old Testament is that they, the disciples had a rabbi and they followed him wherever he went. If he went and did his washing, they followed him and they learned how to do that. If he went and taught, they followed him and they, they went everywhere that he went. The model for learning in the Old, in the New Testament, um, was that they just followed. That's how they learned. They did an internship. And so when, um, when Peter sees his master, his teacher, his leader walking on the water, the most natural response in part as a student is to say, I need to do that. And so he asks Jesus a really simple question, or he says a really simple statement. Um, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus just really simply replies, yeah, come. Beautiful. And I love this. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. What a sentence. Like, do we believe this actually happened? Well, I sure do. And here we read Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, gets himself out of the boat and starts walking on the water. He is walking over the chaos. He's walking over the confusion. He's walking over the demons. He's walking over Leviathan. 
to walk to his master, to walk to his rabbi, to walk to his God. And so you have this beautiful moment, this beautiful sentence that is recorded in scripture where we read that Peter takes steps over the water towards Jesus. And we all know what happens. In verse 30 it says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. What does Peter do? Really, really simply, what Peter does is he takes his eyes off Jesus. He takes his gaze off Jesus. He starts looking at the wind buffeting the waves around him and fear starts to take over him. Remember in verse 30, this is a man who just walked on the water. He can do it because he's following his teacher and his master. But his earthly response is to look at the the chaos around him and the confusion around him and to be dictated by that. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And then immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and catches him. You of little faith, he said, why do, why did you doubt? And that verse in verse 31, like that is the gospel. Um, here we have this beautiful moment where Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts to look at the chaos, the fear, the anxiety around him, and he starts to doubt. And then in the water, he starts to sink into Leviathan, into the chaos. And we have this beautiful moment where, where he calls out to Jesus, save me, and Jesus throws his hand into the water, grabs Peter's hands, and brings him back up. And then says, really simply, you have little faith. And what he is saying is really simply, Why did you stop looking at me? Why did you look at the things around you? Why were you dictated by the wind? Why were you dictated by the water? When faith, all you have to do is follow me, is look upon me. Peter's gaze is on Jesus and really simply he does the absolute unthinkable. And one of the things that I want to land on tonight is that we are people who have been reborn. We are new creations. Um, the old has gone, the new has come. Our very identity is completely found in Jesus. Jesus, we're told, is the way, the truth, and the life. We are told that he is the light in the darkness. And what I want us to get is a simple idea. When our attention is on Jesus, when our gaze is on Jesus, when our focus is on Jesus... Um, it gives us the perfect reflection of who we are. It gives us the absolute crystal perfect reflection of who we were created to be and who we are now in 2018. When our identity is found in Jesus and him alone, it completely changes every facet, every angle of our lives. And one of the things I wanted us to understand and I wanted us to like explore is this idea of, of the way in which Peter gets out of the boat. All Peter does is step out of the boat and he performs one of the most beautiful miracles that any of the disciples perform. He walks over chaos. And the thing I love about Peter in this is we know he's fallen. We know he's broken. We know he's just like us. But the thing I love about what Peter did was his natural instinct was to get out of the boat and just start walking towards his his master, his rabbi. And the thing I love, Dan spoke it over us as a community last week. The thing I love is Peter's boldness. He steps out on the water and he, in many ways, he does perform this miracle out of faith. And one of the things I wanted to encourage us in is our, our identity is completely found in Jesus. 
Our job in this life is to usher in the kingdom of God, where chaos wants to spread, where confusion wants to spread. You think about your workplaces, the relationships you're in, the people in which you know your own life. What Satan is trying to do is lie to you. He's trying to put confusion in your mind. He's trying to lower your self-esteem. He's trying to lower what your identity is, always trying to rob you and take from you. And what Jesus is constantly trying to do is just really simply get us to be people who live by faith. And faith is really simple. All it is is trusting in what we do not see, which we are told in Hebrews 11. We are to cast our eyes on Jesus. When we wake up in the morning, when we go through our day, so often we are swamped with anxieties. We are swamped with thoughts. We're swamped with things that um, in many ways can, can ruin us and rob us and take from us. And what Jesus is saying is amongst all that chaos, amongst the wind and amongst the waves, all I want you to do is just cast your gaze on me. It's stupidly simple. And what we're told in that is when we do that, we will overflow with an abundance of fruit. All Peter is doing is following the steps of his master and his rabbi, and that is what we are called to do. This is what discipleship is. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When our eyes are on Jesus, the most natural overflow in our life is the fruit of the Spirit. When we're in our relationships, the most natural thing that is going to come into those relationships, when our eyes are on Jesus, is love, sacrificial love. We're going to be people who are joyful. We're going to be people who meet the storm and the waves and the chaos that is going on in our lives with this ridiculous peace that makes absolutely no sense by the fact that our identity and our entire nature has been reborn and we now have Jesus and the Spirit living completely within us. All of a sudden, we're going to be people who react in kindness where we, in many ways, um, there might be moments in your life where you don't feel like being kind, where it's not your most natural response. When our eyes are on Jesus, all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit just starts to take over, it starts to bubble up, it starts to overflow in our life. We become people who are kind. We are good at faithfulness. We become people who are gentle. And what this does is it impacts our workplaces, it impacts our families, And it impacts each other in this room. What Satan wants to do is allow confusion to spread. He wants us to be people who are religious, tired, bored of God. What God wants to do is remind us that our identity and everything we are is found in him. And following him is not meant to be burdensome. It is meant to be liberating. We are meant to be people who are free. And that freedom comes completely by this simple idea that like Peter in verse 30, we are to have our eyes on him. And if we live this life, no matter how many years we get, if we live this life and our eyes are constantly on Jesus and our trust is constantly on Jesus, then we will be people who walk on the water. We will be people who walk on the chaos. We will get caught up in something that is so much bigger than ourselves and that something is called the kingdom of heaven. We will become a people who in every single aspect of our lives usher in this kingdom of heaven. Whether that's as social workers, as teachers, whether that's as engineers, whether that's as dads or as mums, whether that's as boyfriends or as girlfriends, we will be people who usher in the kingdom of heaven in every aspect of our lives if we simply have our eyes on Jesus. Following him is not burdensome. So I wanted to remind us 
and just echo what Dan shared last week. Don't be people who settle for staying in the boat. All Peter did, and we know that he took his eyes off Jesus, but we should celebrate who Peter was and what he did. Peter got up out of the boat, and he just followed his master. And none of us in this room want to live lives that are lukewarm. None of us in this life and in this room want to get to the end of our lives and go, yeah, I lived a really safe life and I followed Jesus really safely. None of us want that because that's not what God wants for us. That is not what his intention is for us. And so I wanted to remind us really simply um, to get out of the boat and to just follow Jesus, just to have your eyes on Jesus. I don't want to prescribe this for you. We are say 70 people in this room with all different lives. Tomorrow we go to different places. I don't want to be prescriptive in this. I want to just help us simplify. All Jesus is asking us to do is put our eyes upon him. And when we do that, we will overflow with his nature, his character, and his vision for the world in which we live. And that is the most beautiful thing that we can get caught up in. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you that following you in many ways is really simple. But Father, we also recognize that there's a massive cost to following you. We know that we are to lose our very selves. We are to die to ourselves. And Father, what I want to just thank you for as we finish is just your grace. I want to thank you that as we get out of that boat, we are really good at just taking our eyes off you constantly. I want to thank you that you're not a God of works. You're not a God that is focused on us striving to be better. You're a God of grace. And as we take our eyes off you constantly, Father, I thank you that your hand constantly reaches into the water and pulls us out to show us a better way. Father, I want to pray that you would help us to live in that grace. I want to pray that you would help us to learn more and more to simplify our faith and just to keep our eyes on you. I want to pray that as we get up tomorrow, as we go into the world in which we live, that we would be people who just overflow with your grace and your goodness and your love and your joy, because really simply, our eyes are on you. I want to pray that your truth would be speaking so powerfully into us, that we would not have any confusion over us or chaos or anxiety, but Father, we'd be people who are free. Father, we thank you that you're a God that is good, We thank you that you care for every aspect of our lives. And Father, we thank you that when you look at us, you see yourself in all your fullness. And that is the most beautiful result for us in the world. Amen.